Hi, this is Eddie O'Sullivan, USA Rugby Eagles head coach, and you're with Rugby Matrix USA. Indeed you are. This is episode 004 of Rugger Matrix USA, The Plan. Hello, I'm your host, Juro Sin, joined in a moment by Bruce McLean from New York City. And of course, Eddie O'Sullivan gives us the master plan for 2010, heading in to the World Cup the following year. This is Rugger Matrix USA. Yes, hello and welcome to Rugger Matrix USA episode four. We are getting along now. Here's my partner in crime, Bruce McLean. How's New York City? Did you get an ice storm, Bruce? I think there's going to be a white Christmas. No, it was a snowstorm. Nice, light, fluffy 15 inches of snow. Pretty good. Pretty uh, good stuff around here. Les will be in for a nice white Christmas in Rockefeller Center. <laughs> I think that is the ice storm when Les Kiss arrives. <laughs> yeah. Well, what a great honor today, uh, Bruce. We've got the USA Eagles coach, as we heard in the introduction, Eddie O'Sullivan, joining us. He's on a brief trip away back in Ireland at the moment, and I think you're cold there at the moment, Eddie. Good evening to you, and thanks for joining us. Hey, Jura. Good to be here. Yeah, it's pretty cold in Ireland, minus five at the moment and dropping. Uh and it was flooding before I got home, so I'm not sure what to expect next, but uh, we're all huddling down here for Christmas. Oh, it's all sounding pretty good then. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Bruce, as I mentioned, it's a great honour to have Eddie on the show, and uh, what a terrific job he's done so far. Uh, World Cup qualification in the bag for the Eagles. Yeah, I think that he's got to be pretty excited about that. I'm sure he would have wanted it to happen a couple months earlier, but you take what you can get and you like it, and you know we're moving on, and we'll probably be talking about some of the plans moving forward and how we're looking in the World Cup and how we're going to approach it going forward. Be good. Well, I'm, Ed, I'm, I'm excited for the show. Yeah, let's get stuck into it. So, uh, Eddie, let's look at the 2009 season. You qualified for the World Cup, but was that the only thing that was important this year? Yeah, well, I've got to be honest and say that was the primary goal was to, to get into the Rugby World Cup 2011. Um, it, it's been an exciting year. I mean, I've, I've really enjoyed the whole experience for the last nine months since I've been been in the seat. And uh, there was a lot to do. Um, we had a lot of uh, things to get organised, but we, we got there eventually. As Bruce mentioned, we, we thought for a fleeting moment in July we, we were going to get across the, the line with qualification ahead of schedule, but didn't happen. Things went pear-shaped in, in Edmonton. But... Uh, we, we rallied the troops well, uh, went to Uruguay and, and then back to Fort Lauderdale and got the job done. So it's it's been really exciting. Um, not, not without it, 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 its moments, I guess, but uh, I really enjoyed every moment of it. What were some of the problems you had to juggle with in order to get yourself to, well, get the team, not yourself, get the team to qualify for the World Cup? And and what, what kind of trials and tribulations did you go through over the summer and the November series? Um. Not, nothing more than, than I kind of expected, Bruce, which was great. I, I mean, I, I always felt that my previous experience in USA would be back in the late 90s before World Cup 99 uh, were going to stand me in good stead, and they certainly did. Um, I, I guess the first thing was, you know, arriving in, you know, um, getting my feet under the table, trying to f- get my bearings and, and having, you know, known people uh, in America already. I had a lot of contacts, a lot of people wanting to help out, which is great. Appointing a new staff, getting getting everybody on the same page, um, and and then, you know, probably trying to hit the ground running for what was a, a very very busy summer. I I don't know if it's happened recently, but we had seven week assembly right in, whack in the summer, uh, we, starting with tests against Ireland and Wales. So it was it was a pretty intense summer and a big build up for us, and uh, so there was a lot to be done. And and some of the problems were, you know, that and and you can't avoid these. We 
we didn't get full access to all the Eagles players um, right until we played Georgia in, in, in the Churchill Cup, you know. So for those first, I guess, uh, games, four games against Ireland, Wales, the Jaguars and, and the Saxons, we were kind of boxing with one hand behind our back because at the start of the season, um, Ireland and Wales were outside the international window, so we just couldn't get our overseas players back. And even when we got those guys back uh, for the for the Churchill, there was a, there was issues with the French players who have to, under French labour law, get get a break at the end of the season. So, you know, just just had to get those get those things sorted. So we didn't get our best team on the field to Georgia. Um, you know, you had the old problems you always have. We put in new systems around the team and set piece defence attack continuity, trying to get everybody on the same page and. And then the other difficult thing is trying to, you know, who are the best players available, trying to build a pool, you know. And so all those things took a bit of time. And, and I guess you know, I had to be realistic and say, well, you know, we, we've got seven games and we've got a shot at the end of it playing Canada in the last two. We might actually qualify for the World Cup. So let's put all our energy into that. And for that reason, the first four games against Ireland, Canada, uh, Ireland, uh, uh, Wales, the, ja- the Jaguars uh, and the Saxons were about really trying to find where we were. And I really targeted um, the Georgia game as the game I wanted to really win at the end of the Churchill. And there was a ranking points at stake there, so that was a good one to target. And then we went to Charleston uh, kind of, you know, on the back of a very good win and, and we turned over Canada. And then at that point, I think we all thought, yeah, you know, maybe here we go to Edmonton and, and we've a shot. And uh, unfortunately, as we all know, that came came unstuck early doors in Edmonton. Uh, we had a pair sent off, Paul Emmerich got sent off and we lost the plot a little bit and we showed our inexperience. But even at the end of that, you know, I felt we had got a lot of work done and we had got a lot of things in place. And I got to say, you know, credit where credit is due. The coaching staff were all new pretty much and, and they worked their socks off um, right through the summer. And the players themselves, you know, the guys who came to the camp were just tireless in their efforts. So I really enjoyed the whole experience. But then we had to, to kick on. Um, I think ideally we, we maybe would have left Edmonton and, and hoped to play Uruguay straight away. But haven't taken guys away from home and family and jobs for seven weeks. It wasn't a runner. So the next time we saw each other was actually in, in uh, Fort Lauderdale on our way to Montevideo. Uh, so that was a little bit of a worry because I um, did a bit of investigations and I knew that Uruguay saw us coming down the pike and thought they had a shot because at the end of the day, they're right whack at the end of their season. So their guys were pretty much up to speed rugby-wise. Um they also had two warm-up games against the Jaguars, which they were beaten in, but they were good warm-up games for them. So I think they felt they had a shot at taking us down. And, uh, you know, I, I was a bit concerned going down there that we might be a little bit rusty, and we were. I mean, we were rusty in the first game. We were leading with the last, with 20 minutes to go, and we just came unstuck, and, and, and they got us in the last 15, and, and we paid a price for it. And I was pretty peeved about that. Uh, but I think once we got back to Fort Lauderdale and circling the wagons, and we're much better the second day around. We, we shut down their, their mall. We shut down their scrum. Uh, we, we, we were a lot smarter with the ball. And, and we, 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 you know, we qualified comfortably in the end. But I, I guess like all these things, you're not going to relax until the job is done. So getting getting there, um, as we did, you know, uh, albeit in November, I was very, very pleased. So access to the players was an issue, clearly, Eddie. Uh, obviously, you weren't happy with it. But uh, will that improve next year? Have you taken measures? I know, I know it's a difficult system for you to work in from what you've been used to but uh you you've got the job done so far are, are you able yeah. to get more more access to the guys heading going I, forward? I, I think i think we'll have to, we'll have we'll have similar problems but i think you know forewarned is forearmed we can probably 
uh, take steps to, to alleviate the problem. I, I think, to be fair to guys, uh, George, the, the seven-week assembly was great in one side of it because it meant we were together for seven weeks and we got to know each other really well. We got all our systems in place. And I think, you know, listen to the last podcast um, you had with, with, with Coach Talk and he talked about the fact that how well the, the team kind of gelled, you know, having arrived in Fort Lauderdale after a couple of days of training, you know, we, we were on, on the same page again. And, and that that was because we that really strong block of, of time together in, in the summer. And the trade-off in that, it was that that it put immense pressure on guys, uh, the home-based guys who were trying to get away from work and away from family and trying to manage jobs. Like, it put immense pressure on them. So... I think next year um, we're looking at at breaking that up a little bit, and and I can talk about that in a bit later in more detail what the plan is for next year. But I do know when we had the ARC tournament in October, and and um, I I know you um, that 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 was a, again availability was a problem because we had a situation where you you have the average ones where guys are injured, and some of the players who who came through this summer or last gone by were were in college, couldn't get off college, understandably. Um, and you again, guys who had taken those seven weeks and were hoping to be selected again for the qualifiers in November, just couldn't take another two weeks in October. And we had the ARC didn't really work that well because you know we were short so many guys. Now, having said that, the ARC did did produce four players for the World Cup qualifiers that weren't in the pool that summer, like Phil Phil Teal, Vonnie Rose, Corey Blair. And Jacob Sprague, you know, so the RC did a job, but again, next year the RC has got to be much more valuable um, in terms of what it produces for us, and, and I can talk in detail about that. But certainly, I think maybe the message, if we can, or, or the, the the lesson, if we can manage it, and we're not always in control of our own destiny on these, is that we we spread out our assemblies a little bit and break it up somewhat, so guys, you know, can break it up into bite-sized pieces and and manage their time, their jobs, and I think that's something next year that I think we have pretty much in place if things fall right for us. I'm going to give you a two-pronged shot here, Eddie. Um, one thing is, how would you change the ARC? How would you change the way you approached it from an Eagle head coach perspective? And what are the plans for assemblies in the upcoming year prior to the Churchill Cup? Because I know you want to talk about that but prior to the Churchill Cup during the spring season what are the plans and in hindsight as a head coach how would how would you change the way things you know things work between you and say the coaching staff on the of the ARC going forward well the one thing that spun out of the ARC is there was we had problems with it obviously that I explained in terms of player availability um there were problems as well with the IRB they, they they didn't really nail down what they wanted to do with the tournament and there was budgetary cutbacks as well at the last minute uh, in terms of how much support we would get for the tournament and I think the the way the tournament ran and, and the whole structure of it, you know, with Canada having two provincial teams in it and the Jaguars who are pretty much too strong for everybody um, I think the IRB, well I know for a fact the IRB weren't over the moon about the whole thing it didn't really suit us Probably Canada got the most value of it, but that's not a good reason to keep doing it. And, and Canada, except that we we had a very good meeting in in Toronto at the ARC. Canada were at the table. Uh, obviously, we were at the table, and and we had the Argentinians at the table, and and the IRB were there, which is probably the most important partner. And they all agree that we've got to relook at the ARC. So there is a plan for next October that the ARC will be a format um, more in the terms of a tournament where we will have. A Canadian domestic team, a USA domestic team, 
the uh, Argentinian Jaguars A team and probably a full strength Uruguay side. And we'll play um, basically a round robin tournament. We get three games in two weeks. And um, it, it will be broken up into a two week segment. The Churchill Cup will be basically a three week segment. And uh, your original que- part of your question was what do we do in the lead up to Churchill Cup? Well, you know, the, the Super League is running right through the spring and, and that's a big, it's an important factor in the players' development and, and, and the game in the US. And I'll talk about that later, maybe in terms of developing a pool of Eagles players. But there's really two windows in that that um, Super League where there, there are bye weekends. And I just want to plug uh, weekend camps in there where we can get the guys on, on the ground for, for two days, really tough training. So there's two spring camps who are organized um, around the, the weekends of... of uh, April second, uh, third, and fourth, and May seven, eight, nine, and they're the as you know from your schedule, they're the bye weekends in rugby super league, and obviously if there's super league games to be filled in there. We won't take players away from the super league, but it'll give me a chance to get the the squad again on the ground, and then the next time we hit the ground is going to be for Churchill Cup. Uh, again, that's three weeks, and it's it's uh, three games in, in that window, and then we get a break until the ARC, which is. Again, October, that's another uh, two weeks. And as I said, that ARC tournament should be a lot more structured this year. And we should have a lot more access to players as well. And then the final assembly, um, because now we qualify for World Cup, we're in discussions with the IRB about a full se- full blown overseas tour to Europe in the fall window in November, which is great because I don't know the last time that was available to the Eagles. But um, at the moment, it looks like we've, potential games well I think the game against Scotland A is pretty much nailed down uh, they're happy to play us uh, we potentially test against Spain and possibly and with certainly one other team but who we, we know about that won't be until the qualifiers are over in March because the potential teams to play there are Russia Romania uh, or Portugal who are who are going to be uh, involved in qualifiers in, in the spring in, in Europe so if it falls right for us, we're going to get three games there. Uh, certainly uh, Scotland Day in the middle and a game each side of it, possibly Spain and maybe you know Romania or Russia or even Portugal. So when you look at it like that, it's, it's a pretty good season ahead of us next year and it's very exciting. You know We've got nine games and four of those games are ranked tests and it's broken up into three weeks Churchill Cup, um, you know, two weeks ARC tournament and then four weeks for a fall tour so hopefully that makes it a bit easier on players and uh, again gives us a chance to, to build a squad Well Eddie that sounds like a, it's a good plan for 2010 and uh, I know that Bruce is keen to hear about this uh, point from uh, your preparation let's get into a bit more detail Eddie about your, your, your week to week preparation next year and, and for, for each test match the tactics you put together and making sure you're not rusty uh, like you were recently uh, and, and going into the uh, series in 2010. Yeah, I guess, you know, we the spring camps are important because we're going to have to, you know, again, look at some new faces and, and dig down the depth chart. And, and there are some new faces to look at and, and get those guys in, but they will be domestic players. Uh, the Churchill Cup will have a little bit of a bit better, a better long, longer run into it. So, like we, we, we hope to have a little more time before the Churchill Cup kicks off to be together, and also the fall tour and planning a week uh, with domestic players in the US before you fly to Europe. So, that will help things dramatically in terms of time with the squad because 
you know, it's great to have games, but the problem with games, and it sounds ironic as we want to play, is that if you play on a Saturday, you probably only have three three major training sessions that week. You know, you can only, and you can have six if you want to, but but then you're going to leave your best rugby on, on the training paddock and that's pointless exercise. So one of the big issues for us, and, and this is a church and cup issue because you often play, I remember last year we played we played uh, uh, Wales in, in Chicago on, on a Saturday and then we had to play the Jaguars on a Tuesday night in, in, in uh, Glendale. And then the following Sunday we played the Saxons and the following Sunday we played Georgia. So those type of compressed schedules mean your time for coaching in terms of time on the field is limited because, you know, you just can't over, over train the guys and, and then they leave the best performance on the, on the training field. So managing time is important. And, uh, but at the week of a test game, we tend to measure our time very carefully. I mean, there's so many things you want to do and there's so many things you can do that it's important that you, you actually measure your time carefully. Of course, all the assistant coaches want their time as well because they have a, they have a schedule to, to work to and they have a job to get done. But, it's pretty simple stuff, you know. We, we we analyze the opposition dramatically. We find out what they're doing at every aspect of their game, and a lot of time goes into that. And then we we build our own game plan based on on what they do. And if you look at the possession set piece lineouts, we always go with different set of lineouts every week because we know they've scouted us, and we've got to put a different show up in, in the lineout, uh, both offense and defensively. We change our strategies. The scrum we tend to just work on improving our game there, make sure we can deliver good ball. And if we have any issues from previous performances, we address those. In, in terms of continuity, again, you're probably looking at accuracy at the point of contact, making sure that we deliver quality possession at the point of contact. And uh, we look at different types of rolling plays. That's what I call a rolling play would be a little wrinkle on your game uh, off the, on the run off a ruck. You know, it's not a, a, it's not a set play and that is pre-call. It's just on the run, we run little plays. And you've got to move those around from week to week. That's part of the continuity. In terms of go forwards, you know, the backs, like the start-up players are organised, and that's often determined by the opposition defence. And when you break down the opposition defence, you break it down systemically. You know, what are they doing? What's their line speed? Uh, are they trying to push up and out? Are they trying to come up and in? And, and then you look for individual flaws as well. So it's both systemic and individual uh, view on the opposition that gives you your kind of baseline for attack on your, on your primary strikes. And the same with your team attack. You know, um, a big thing for me is, you, you know, we break the field into four zones. We call red zone, white zone, blue zone, and green zone. A red zone is in your own 22. You want to get out of there. And the white zone is outside your 22, but you can't kick directly to touch. And those zones have changed with the ELVs. But bottom line is you need an extra strategy for those zones. And it depends on what the opposition give you in terms of how would they play three or four full backs. When do those people move? Do they come up into the line? And you've got to build an exit strategy, which often changes a bit from week to week. And you get into the the, the, the blue zone and, and you want to keep the ball in hand, but you you know, you want to be uh, careful as well that you don't turn it over there. And then you get into the green zone, you always want to put some points on the board there. So we build strategies for those zones. The players understand the priorities in those zones and how we get from one zone to the next. And obviously then as you know, Coach Tolkien last week talked about defending the football, you know, we, we Again, it's a systemic thing, you know, how well can we execute the system? You know, we, we set KPIs for those areas as well, key performance indicators like we do in every part of our game. And we know if we hit those targets or those goals, there's going to be a good outcome. So 
usually in defense, it's about getting better at what we do, you know, and, and getting stronger and getting more automated in our response to the opposition and, and be more savvy at the breakdown, we'll be more savvy in the middle of the field. So that's just the coaching stuff. That's the rugby stuff. So you want to get all that done. So your time management's crucial. Um, how you break that up because, you know, you could do that over eight or ten sessions, but you don't have eight or ten sessions. I mean, we tend to train. if Sunday is often a travel or a rehab day um, if you play on Saturday. So we train Monday, Tuesday morning, and Thursday morning. The afternoons tend to be fitness, and we take Wednesdays a rest day. Uh, guys get off their feet, and they get some R&R, and, and they, they just take a break. And then Friday is just the captain's run. So you've really got three training sessions to get all that done. And, uh, you know, those training sessions don't really last much longer than 90 to 100 minutes. So, you know, time is of the essence. But we do a lot of work in analysis, as I just described, analyzing the opposition and what they do systemically or individually and, and how we can break them down or we can shut them down. Um, but we also analyze ourselves a lot. You know, we, we, we make movies of our training sessions and, you know, we, we see, do we, do we tick all the boxes we wanted to tick in training? So the, the team spent a lot of time in the meeting room going through our, our training film and deciding do we do it as well as we said we would or what were the flaws in our training today? Or individually, if someone's struggling with one aspect, I mean, probably the hardest thing on defense in our system is if you find yourself in the B defender position, or the B defender for anybody watching it on TV or on film is the defender's third place in the rock. It's pillar AB, so he's the B defender. And a lot of players struggle there because, you know, it's a, you make a lot of decisions as B defender and, and you're in control of the, the, the speed of the line and everything. So, you know, that's an area we spend a lot of time because some guys are more comfortable there, but you often find some of your front five players it's not the most comfortable place to be, but hey, here's the deal. You're going to be there at some point in the game and you've got to execute. So we spend a lot of time with individuals as well and, and you, you see their, their errors and their mistakes in, in training and you can address them. And I always say to guys, you know, practice makes permanent, you know, because we keep practicing the wrong thing, you get bloody good at it, you know. Uh, so we, we try to get guys practicing the right thing and, and that's why the film is important. And you can get so much coaching done now and we've got a really good analyst in, in Dave Hodges who coaches the... The, uh, the pack as well. He coaches the line out and, and the forwards. And, um, you know, he, he puts a lot of stuff together for us. And the coaches as well are very, very up to speed on sports code. So there's a lot of work goes on there in, that, in, in the team rooms. That And it means you're off your feet, but you're coaching. And that, it's a great advantage to be in that position. I've been using that system for years and I found it hugely valuable. So I think a lot of the coaching that people wouldn't realize goes on, you know, in the team rooms and not actually on the field. And this is in terms of, of developing the players is our post-analysis of, of, of the game. Now, obviously, we analyse it on how we played as a team, but probably the most important aspect is we analyse in terms of our individual performances. Um, every game is coded uh, by, by Dave Hodges and every individual moment. So you can, you can take your game and uh, across a matrix of, of actual events you know, at the rock, carrying the ball in defence, everything you did in the game or didn't do is coded, and it's coded in terms of quality as well. So... I can sit down with a player and go through his game on, on that matrix and you can take one little box in the matrix where there's a number, like maybe say number five, you made five five tackles. We can click that box and we can watch a movie of those five tackles and if you miss two tackles, there's two tackles in the missed tackle box, we can look at how you missed those tackles and what you did wrong and how you're going to fix that and it's 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 great for two two or three reasons. One is is, you know, it feeds into our overall performance. Everybody knows that you know, as a back row player, if our three back rows make, you know, 12 or 14 tackles apiece, that's a big game. We know if our, our front five players make, 
you know, eight to ten tackles a piece. It's a big game, or the number of carries, and you build you build a, basically a performance rating based on that. Guys know what's a good game and what's a not so good game, and also you're coaching them. If they make mistakes, you can you can rectify those mistakes again and show them where they went wrong. And we can set our goals as a team. I mean, again, I keep referring back to last week's podcast with, with Coach Talk, and he, he brought up a great one. It's a key performance indicator. If we keep our, our tackle count over 90%, we lose very few games. It's when it trickles down to 88, 87, 86. And believe me, guys, in Test Rugby, if you drop below that 90% barrier, even 1% or 2%, it can cost you a game. Uh, so all those things... The review of our performances just means we're constantly giving the guys feedback on what they need to do, what they need to fix, what we need to fix as a, as a team and as a coaching team, what we need to focus on for the next training sessions, you know, what we weren't good at at the breakdown, you know, our clean-out techniques are poor, do we not get our saddle roll right or our head snap or whatever and we just got ourselves in a position where we didn't deliver quick ball and, you know, Coach Payne is looking at that stuff and that focuses our attention on what we train on the next, the next day we're on the paddock. So, it's kind of a it's kind of a treadmill you get on, you know, and it's never ending, and and it's never ending because you know you're only as good as your last performance, and and I think a lot of time you're only as good as your next performance, so it's it's just a non-stop thing. But once you what what happens with that, and and this is what I wanted to establish this summer, is you build this routine around the team from week to week, and guys, you know, get into this routine and they know where they are and what they're doing. It's a bit like I guess. You know, hopefully it's like what happens in the NFL when you go from week one to week two and week two to week three. You know, you just get in the bunker every week and you fix what you got to fix and you change what you got to change and you go to war the following week and you try and get a result. And that's the kind of mindset I'm trying to create. So when you get into tournament situations, that's how you function. That's how you get results. And uh, we're not there yet, but I think we're on the track, you know. Eddie, how, how do you – how are you going to – advance your, your performance and your key performance indicators. It seems like you have a, a, a large individual matrix. How are you going to transform that into a team matrix? Like how many times you hit three phases? How many times? Like I know one of the ones that Talks didn't get into last week is uh, turnover hits where it's, you know, he's been having three a game and he, he wants to get into the six to eight range. And, and he's got, he's got a look there that he wants, he wants big hits there. What kind of things are going to attack like a good defensive set where you, where you knock them back or you create a turnover or, you know, and, and, and the other thing is one of the things I wanted to discuss with you is in Ireland, you always had a tremendous kicking game with O'Gara and Humphreys. And in America, you don't necessarily have that kind of length and that kind of reliability in the goal kicking and drop kicking aspect how has that changed your approach to the game in America based on our relative weaknesses there? Um, well, just going back to your first question about our KPIs, um, we generally build our KPIs based on the individuals. So, like, if we put all the tackles that we made and the tackles we missed together, we work out a percentage, and the guys know that, that we've got to hit that percentage every week. Individually, guys take ownership then of what they can do. You know, they know that if they're going to make 12 tackles in a game and and they're going to make four or five impact tackles, you know, they know that's a good game. And that's a, that's a smoking game for a back row, you know. Um, so they get their focus right and, and they set their goals on that. And then if they miss that target, um, you know, they go back, we look at the game, we say, well, you know, you had an opportunity here. You didn't really take, you didn't pull the trigger on that tackle. And maybe the opportunities didn't arise, just the way the game went. Uh, but he says, well, how am I going to make it happen for the next game? So th- there's a lot of coaching there and, and, we also strategize a bit with our defense. I think we strategize in offense a lot, which makes sense. But sometimes teams run defensive systems just 
run them and you can find you can run defensive system and depending on the system you can make zero errors and lose 50 meters you haven't missed a tackle but you, you've lost a lot of ground so i like to try and strategize where we we build the takeaway phase i call it we would give you you know on we, we, you discussed that last week about giving up 10 15 20 meters sometimes to leave a team get to the touchline but when they come back we're taking the football away are you going to lose 20 meters you're going to find yourself you know with zero go forward and, and, and a five second rock and then you got to kick it and you can run with it but we're going to take it away again so that kind of strategy, when guys recognize that on the field, we recognize the moment when we can take the football away or completely stymie the offense. And if you, if, you, if you have the understanding of what you're trying to do in terms of what tackle turns that football over or turns the momentum back on the offense where now the defense has momentum, um, you know, if guys understand that, then that's what they know when to get it done. And, and, and then that all adds up. Then you review your game. You suddenly realize, yeah, we, we had 10 of those moments when they were going forward and suddenly we turned them back. And guys start believing it's possible on every defensive strategy then. You can, you can build a lot of confidence because you ask most defensive coaches, yeah, it's about, you know, systems, it's about technique, but it's about confidence. And the best defensive system in the world, if, you, if the players aren't totally confident in it, it can fall apart very quickly. And that's often was a worry for me this summer. We were putting a whole defensive system in and, and there are times in a game where, you know, we were playing against a team where they were a better rugby team, you know, and they, they deliver quick ball and guys can panic and abandon the system and, and they lose confidence in it. So building that confidence, you know, permeates the whole team. Um, the second part of your question was to do with kicking, Bruce. And yeah, I was I was blessed in, in Ireland with, with, you know, probably one probably the best you know, tactical kicker in world rugby, even still, is Juan Nogara. And David Humphreys was no slouch either. So we used, I pretty much used a strategy that they would kick us out of anywhere. You know, it didn't matter, red, red, white, or whatever zone. Um, it was a little more difficult uh, with the Eagles because we didn't have that caliber of kicker, you know, different type of players. Uh, so I had to think a little bit outside the box. Well, I started using second kickers, like, for example, you know, Mike Kirkus is right-footed kicker, Chris Wilde's left-footed. So we would often... Uh, strategize where we hit the middle of the field and try to get the wings to come up um, and I would whichever corner open we would hit either 15 or 10 10 would stand right was right foot 15 stand left was left now if the wings wouldn't come up then it meant that you know they were had three full backs it had to be a hell of a kick to 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 hit grass before it went rolled and you wanted to hit grass if it doesn't hit grass they're going to counterattack so but if they had three full backs they couldn't be strong on the corners so we would run to the corners uh, hit it up there and then the nine would take over and box kick so it, it's like you know we just put more strings on the bow you know be, because you know we had to spread the load a bit uh, and the team the thing about that is t- people feel you know the only person needs to know about kicking the ball is the guy kicking it well wrong you know firstly the other 14 players need to know you know where we're going to kick from when we're going to kick and where we're going to kick it to and and then the whole transition game kicks in. Then once the ball, you know, once leather hits leather and the ball's in the air, we got to put a defensive uh, line chase in. And how do you put in there? Do you put six in the front line and four deep uh, and, and five in the middle? Or is it eight? You know, you get a configuration. Personally, I like four in the back, um, four covering the back. That's usually 15, 10. Uh, the, the winger that doesn't have to chase and somebody to truck it up. We call him a trucker. Usually you're number eight or number six. And then you're, you, you've got uh, three guys sweep in the middle, usually a nine and a couple of front rows. Uh, and that's the other nine guys on the front line. And they just, um, they just that front line then forms, a, 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 as we call, 
uh, a wall of defenders and they just close down the opposition. And if they want to kick it, they can. We've that covered. If they want to chip it, they can chip it. If they want to go into contact, we'll take that as well. And and you play it from there. So building those transition phases from 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 having possession, not having possession are crucial because, you know, the kick uh, may be under pressure and may not land where you want it to. And that's where your system gets tested. If the kick lands where you want it to, it's much easier. But that doesn't happen all the time. Eddie, I wanted to ask you about uh, the American style. Uh, Todd Clever talked about, when I asked him, what is it that uh, the opposition, what you want the opposition to think about an American player? And, uh, you know, the guys made, made a point that we've spoken to that they don't, they're not born with the football in their hands, which was a subject of our Rugger Matrix International show last week. So they come late to the game and they have to develop through coaching in particular. So what you're doing is very important. Um, now that you talk about teams that you play against, you, you analyse them and you develop your game to, uh, to suit that particular opposition, what, what do you want to see other teams say, well, OK, we're playing the Eagles this week. This is what we've got to watch out for. Clearly, Todd was talking about being a physical player and, and trying to dominate in the ca- in a tackle contest, etc. But are there other elements that you think the Eagles can soon be renowned for? I oh, certainly hope so. And, and one of the things that really bugs me a bit about when people talk about American rugby players is they always you know, allude to their physicality. Like, uh, oh yeah, they hit big and... and that's it. Like you know, it starts and starts and ends with the American guys who put their body on the line. Well, you know, they do that for sure. But there's a lot more to it, you know. And, and I think the one thing that, that I learned um, in coaching in America, I learned a lot about systems, and I believe in systems. Um, and I want to be be careful that people think oh, systems means you know playing by numbers, which is really wrong. I think systems, what systems do is they, they put you in a position to make good decisions. And you've got to make good decisions on the back of systems. And I mean, I've always been a huge admirer of Australian rugby. I mean, I, ever since I, I played against the Grand Slam Wallabies back in, in the 80s, uh, and uh, I, I had huge respect for Australian rugby all the way through. I think they've been the most innovative team in the world over the last uh, 25, 30 years, which has been to their success. I mean, they've won two World Cups. So... Um, off, off a limited pool of players. So I, I, and I think if you look at Australian rugby, they've been very good at building systems around their team. Uh, and I've always believed in that. And I think if you look at American coaching, you know, America has led coaching for years because they know how to coach, whether it's ice hockey or baseball or, or football or basketball. So I learned in America that, that you know, systems do work. And they are very effective in, 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 in steepening the learning curve and uh, uh, the skill learning curve. And I know American players have come through coaches who worked in systems. So it was a, it's important for us to build those systems around teams. So we have systems for everything, as I think you should have, not because they're Americans. And what it does, a system, as I said, is it gives you an opportunity to make a, a good decision. And whether that's at the rock, you know, how to clean out the rock and make sure the ball is presented properly, how to make a tackle, when to make the tackle, who's responsible for the tackle, that's all part of your system. Uh, and And... I think, you know, this summer we worked on, on kind of one or two basic shapes that we played in attack and we moved the ball to different strike points of the field um, and, and I want to expand that. So, so you know, I think, you know, the, the best compliment you can get as a coach if somebody tells you that they don't like playing against you because they don't know what's coming down the pike next week. Because you go this week, you do one thing and next week you do something else. So teams can't strategize against you. And, and they, it worries a team. It gets into their head that, geez, what are these guys going to throw at us this week? And I think 
that's where I want to go with the Eagles. You know, I did it with Ireland in the sense that I, I, I always moved the game plan around. And, you know, guys don't always like that because human nature is, you know, if we're good at doing something, let's do it again next week. Well, here's the bad news that may not work next week. You've got you to box clever here. You've got to box smart. And, and I think the American team that I'm with at the moment, I'm happy to say, are bought into that. And, you know, we, we played one way in Montevideo. Um, and it didn't work particularly well for us, actually, because to be fair to the Uruguayans, they had a bit of homework done. And, and how, we, how we tried to break them down, they were pretty much ready for it. We had to work very hard. Whereas we did the following week is we, we changed our strike points quite dramatically. And it was much, I think we caught the Uruguayans the following week and made life a lot simpler for us. And the guys have bought into that. And, and this kind of, you know, pigeonholing the Americans is just a bunch of guys who just knock the crap out of people in the tackle and at the rock. You know, I'll take that, but it's a lot more to American rugby than that. And I would like that to become, you know, something people look at the American team, they go, hey, these guys can come at you different ways. And you've got well, to have needs, your it needs to be It needs to be, Eddie, doesn't it? I mean, if, you want to, if you want to make a statement out of the World Cup in particular, you need to show there's a few more facets to your game. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we, we're getting there. You know, we, we've scored some great tries this year and they haven't been all through the forwards. Um, like we knew, we knew, um, we knew in Montevideo and in... And, 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 uh, in Fort Lauderdale, we weren't going to beat up the Uruguayan pack, and we didn't try to beat them up. We knew we'd have to do certain things well, but we focused on on, on getting the ball to our backs as much as possible, and we we got some really good tries. and And uh, I got to tell you, the way the ELVs are working, it's getting harder to do that. It's another discussion for another day. But <laughs> well, we know, you know we know your opinions on those, Eddie. <laughs> yeah, but uh, um, but uh, you know, I, I think you know it's going to take a little time, and that's probably the plan for next year. Is just to one of the one one part of the plan. Obviously, one one part is to get some depth into the pool now and find some new guys who come in and, you know, just build that depth through the squad. Uh, secondly, would, would be to just put more strings on that bow, you know, and just keep keep changing your game around and making guys comfortable. I think it all comes back to the fact that if you get the foundations in and, you know, you can you can grow, grow different, different stories at different levels off the foundations. And I think we've got the foundations in and maybe even the first floor this year. So I, I'm really excited about next year. Eddie, moving forward and, and, you know, changing your plan and putting and getting other people into the pool, it, when is it going to be, when is it going to be that decision where do you handle the guys with kid gloves or do you let them play? And that's always the conundrum that coaches face. Conundrum's a huge word for me. Tolkien will comment on that. <laughs> but that's always the conundrum that you guys face is that you really have to decide, hey, you know, Todd Clever, there's only one Todd Clever in American rugby, and I can't afford to be risking him every single time we go out. But on the other yeah. hand, the guys need to play with him. And, and, and you've had experience with that on both ends. And, yeah. you know, how do you foresee it going in America? Like, you know, I have my opinion, but I'd be interested in hearing yours. Well, of course, you, you've got to, and this is probably a good thing to talk about going forward, is that Next year, we've got to build some depth into the pool, and that means that Todd Clever can't play in every game, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and it's the same for every player. So we, there are certain days you're going to go out and you're going to change the team around and you're going to take some risks with guys because you know maybe this guy's possibly ready for test rugby. And, you know, it's called test rugby for a good reason. It's a stress test on your game, you know. Can you hack it? You know, can you deliver what you said you could, you know, or looks like you, you could do? So we've got to take those chances next summer. And, Sometimes it's going to be two steps forward and one step back, you know, and, and 
that, that's part of a building process. You know, you want to go out and win every game, but some days you've got to take a risk and maybe it works and maybe it doesn't. It backfires and you, you're wiser at the end of it. And, you know, it's, it's, I, I hate saying this because you don't want to do it, but sometimes you learn more from losing than you do from winning. And I'm saying you go out to go and lose, but, you know, you have to take those risks. If you put your strongest 15 on the field every time because you have to win, uh, the risk is that you won't build any depth, you know. And, and where I am at the moment is we have a core of players in the squad that I'm, I'm happy with, but we're not the finished product. And some of that's getting the guys we have to become better at what they do. And some of it's, there's some other guys out there that we haven't seen before we've got to bring in. And and I guess part of that is, is um, you know, looking at what's, what's around us. I mean, it leads me into talking about things like the Super League. You know, the Super League is... And you are involved in it, Bruce, you know, very much so. You're up to your neck in it. it. It's a very, very important instrument for us in terms of, you know, the domestic player scene. You know, and we all talk about guys going overseas and that. And, and, and I'm, I want to say that the model that, that Argentina used to the last World Cup and did for many years has worked for them very much so. And where we are is, you know, ideally we would like a full-time professional league in the U.S. with everybody in country playing against each other every week at the highest level. But, hey, you know, it isn't there right now, and, and what's best is the guys overseas in a professional environment. But the next best thing, if, if we haven't got that, is if a guy is not overseas playing professionally, uh, if he's playing Super League rugby or Division One rugby with, with with a good club, you know they, that's the next best thing. And I think that you know it's something I I I'm buying into, and, and, and never I said it last year. It was a very important for me to buy into, and buying into means the reason I use the word buying into it means that I've got to support that. I mean I. I'm planning to get to as many Super League games as I can this spring. I'm going to move around. Uh, I'll be up in New York at some point, Bruce, to see you play uh, Old Blue, so you better organise something that weekend. And uh, um, I'm going to try and get around the country to every game, see, see as many as I can. I, I I want to speak to Super League coaches again. I'm, Dave Hodges and I are working on a system where we can get those games back into Boulder a few days after and break them down and look at the players and profile the players, give the coaches feedback. And I want to try and build that process where, you know, we're, we're getting the best information we can on the Super League players and giving them the best information we can. And I think that benefits both sides uh, in terms of, of moving everybody forward. I mean, the other side of it as well, and we can't forget, you know, the collegiate program is, are very strong, some, some really strong collegiate programs in the U.S. And some players do graduate into the Eagles directly from collegiate. You know, this year... Uh, Chris Biller came straight out of Cal and, and, you know, at the end of the season, he was the number one choice hooker. Unfortunately, he got injured in the RC and missed the qualifiers. But at the end of the summer, uh, he was our starting hooker. Another player, now Chris has finished in college, but another player was still in college, Colin Hawley, who came out of Cal as well. So there's some exciting players there that we were looking closely at the Collegiate All-Americans program there. You've got the Sevens program, you know, where players are playing both 7s and 15s. At the moment, that's what works for us. And you discussed that last week, and I agree with everything that was said. Um, you know, you've got 7s players who come, come play 15s, and we've got some 15 players who go to play 7s. And it's we've got to work hand-in-hand, hand, myself and Coach Caravelli, to make sure we, we get the best guys in the field all the time uh, from the Eagles pool. And then you have the overseas player dimension. Um, at the moment, we've got about 11 players overseas who were involved in the qualifiers. Not all of them are playing at the highest level, but the fact that they're in a professional environment and playing uh, every week and, and training every day does help uh, dramatically. So, you know, all those things put together, um, you know, it gives us a chance to build a pool. Now, I'll be honest and say I would be advocating, and if not even more so, I would be quite aggressive in marketing 
uh, a number of our Eagles overseas for next season, really putting a push on the spring. Not that we get them into Europe uh, this spring, uh, but I think we get them into Europe next fall uh, into professional contracts. And uh, I think the more of those guys at the moment we get overseas, the better we are for it. And that's not to poo-poo the Super League. It's, it does a fantastic job. But as I explained, it, it, it's, it's limited in that the guys who play Super League, you know, they train as often as they can, but they've got jobs to keep down and, and they play on the weekends. So it, it, no matter what you say, it's not the same as being in a professional environment. And, uh, you know, that's the way it is. I mean, we'd like to wave a magic wand. We've talked about this many times and change it all, but it isn't going to happen between now and the next World Cup. So it is what it is. And you've got to work within the system. So um, that's, that's, they're all the things you've got to factor in and building that pool, you know. Well, I, I, I fully agree with that. I, th- I think that we need to, especially through the high school All-Americans, the college All-Americans, and every opportunity we can get to get our Eagles into overseas professional setups, it's unquestionably the way we have to go. The Super League is very important, and the Super League is good. However, the, the reality is that the Super League has five or six teams that are of equal ability and then there is kind of a second tier of of teams where, where, where they're still very good rugby teams but the the quality of week in and week out play tends to be tends to be diminished now one of the things the overseas players that we have have been contributing heavily for their clubs like Hayden Smith and uh, and Chris Wiles and and Paul Emmerich and, and Zena Gwenya but they haven't necessarily played to their potential as Eagles outside of clever really yet. Like Wiles oh, yeah. hadn't had that. Wiles hasn't had that breakout game for you yet. You know, Emmerich, you yeah. know, he, he, he had a real faux pas against Canada and has not had his breakout game for you. Hayden mm, Smith has true. not had his breakout game and Zena Gwenya has not had his breakout game. And, and in fact played some, some marginal games and, I think that when if they can all just break out like just bam, it happens all at once. I think we may have something going forward, and that may give, especially if they have the breakout game on the international level, give the opportunity to more of the American players, even though they are performing reasonably well at club level. For whatever reason, they just haven't performed. And is there? Do you see a reason? Do you just think it's being new yeah, to I systems? Think, and I think no, I don't think it's the system so much. Is because I think, to be fair to them, we are expecting them to put their best rugby on the field in the summer, uh, by and large, which is when they're coming off uh, a pretty grueling win- winter season. Uh, you know, when you know, if you talk to, to people like David Hodges, who, who was on the rugby treadmill for many years with the Eagles and with Clinethley, uh, he will tell you that he never got a break. I mean, he went from the Clinethley season right into the Eagles' summer season, strapping in the Clinethley. So guys like Chris Wiles and those are on the treadmill pretty much, and that's why, you know, they come into the summer and, and uh, for example, Paul Emmerich was pretty much beaten up when he got into camp um, at the start of the Cup, so I had to give him some time off. And when he came back, of course, he'd lost something, you know, he, he, he'd he lost a bit of form because he was uh, on a break. And, and I could have put him straight into the deep end in the Churchill Cup, but I, I reckon by the time he got to Canada, he might be just beaten up completely. So there is an element of management there as well for us. And uh, I guess, you know, you're right about the exposure in terms of, you know, the Churchill Cup is important because it's seen in, in, in on Sky Sports in England and, and, and uh, in Wales and that, and, and in Scotland. So that's where those contracts lie for us in many cases and also France. But um, what is going to be, I think, hugely beneficial is, is this fall tour next year. I remember my first ever involvement with an Eagles team was back 
in uh, 19, the, well, the Christmas of 1996-97 when the Eagles did a tour of Wales. And at the time, uh, the head coach, uh, Jack Clark, invited me. And it was my first ever time meeting the Eagles. And that particular tour um, uh, in, in Wales, you know, was a springboard for a lot of Eagles contracts like Tom Billups, uh, Robbie Longcomb, Dave Hodges, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Dan Lyle. Uh, all those guys were picked up on that fall tour. They were seen performing, and it was kind of the, the, the gateway to them getting professional contracts. And and those guys, that it be said, served US rugby brilliantly because they were, I mean, American rugby was judged on how those guys performed, and they were outstanding. You know, they, they were consummate professionals. So that makes it a bit easier. But for some reason, that kind of, you know, sterling mark that we had in, in the, the late 90s, uh, early earlier in, in, in the decade, uh, faded away a little bit. We didn't get as many guys overseas for whatever reason. And I think it's time with the caliber of player we have in the Eagles camp, camps at the moment is to get, make, make that big push again now. Get those guys overseas with Hayden Smith and Chris Wise and, and Z. Uh, and there's there's plenty of guys in the squad capable of that. And I've talked to a number of them about, you know, because it's a, it's a big decision because here's how it works in case people wonder. Uh, you know, you take a player like Louis. Louis said openly last week that he's He'd love a contract overseas. Well, here's what happened. Louis's got to live hand to mouth and sit on his hands now uh, for a while. And we work hard to get him a contract. And then nothing happens for a month or maybe two months, maybe three months. Or you get a phone call some night at 11 o'clock until you get on a plane in the morning and, and move your, your life to Clinetley or move your life to Perpignan. And that's there are paradigm shifts in your life. So guys have been mentally prepared for that uh, as well as physically and, and rugby-wise. So, you know, I, I'm I'm part of that process now, and I, I've spoken to players already uh, about that step forward into professional game. But I've told them it can be frustrating. You can sit on your hands for one month, two months, three months, and then the phone call comes. And while it isn't coming, you've got to just be patient and keep working. And then that that phone call comes, and you, you get on a plane and you leave. You move your your life uh, for however long, for one, two, three years. So it's a big commitment for guys. And at the moment, I think we've got you know at least. I would say in our squad, eight to ten guys want to cusp with that capacity. And I want to push them, their names out there, push their CDs out there, get onto agents, you know, be very aggressive in our marketing of these guys uh, in the next uh, two to three months. Give ourselves two or three months to do it so that we're not scrambling come next June or July when all those, you know, contracts in Europe are, are already gone. Uh, and I wasn't around last year to do that. I mean, but this year I am and I'm going to, I'm going to put a lot of energy into that be massively important. I want to I want to backtrack just a, a smidge to the Churchill Cup and currently the Super League final is supposed to be played on June 4th on a Friday night. And I think that based on your Churchill Cup, you might have a game that following Wednesday and you might mm-hmm. need those players. I would yeah. imagine you would want them and I would think that you would want to maybe formally make a push to say the Super League final should be played on the Memorial Day weekend, which would be the week prior, so that you had access to your players, because we could still do it now, but I, 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 if you want your players, then should we move that Super League final? Well, I'm kind of ahead of you on that, because um, I, I noticed that uh, when I got the Super League schedule. Um, and I've already been in contact with with, uh, with Sean Kelly about that, who's the director of the Super League, and he's he un- he understands the difficulties, and we're we're trying to resolve it. And ideally, yeah, if the Super League come forward a week, um, and that's what we're actively trying to trying to create at the moment, because that would be the ideal solution. 
I mean, last year, unfortunately, we had the Super League clash with the Ireland game in Santa Clara. Um, and that was, a, that was a, a game that was played, you know, very early in the season for us. But um, hopefully we can resolve it. I mean, we're working on it. And, and it's not as simple as just moving it. I mean, there's a lot of things to be discussed. And uh, there's the availability of Glendale and, and stuff. But I, I think we can figure it out. I, I'm really quite confident. I think, you know, talking to Sean about it, he wants to try and make it happen. US Rugby wants to try and make it happen. So with both sides working together, I think we can resolve it. And um, as I say, it's Eddie, not as simple Eddie, as moving. Eddie, Eddie. We're going to resolve it. Uh, I would imagine. I'll make that press. There, uh, it is. Well, it is about yeah, as, I, I get. I it, 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 it is. It is. It is about as simple as saying uh, we're going to play on Memorial Day weekend, and that's it. Um, they, it. It's still December now. We can. We can make that move. Last year, we didn't know about it until mid March, so sure. it was difficult to make the move. Knowing about well, it in I, December. That's easy I agree enough. With you, I, and I, I get don't that, see but it, I just yeah. want to be, I, I, I don't want to be I know you're playing the I know you're you're playing the political game by saying it's difficult. It's not that difficult. I mean it I, ideally we play at Glendale, but uh and I think they want to have that game there, so I I think we make that happen and we'll try to make that happen. I wanna just get yeah, that I, out because I figured yeah, I now that it it's public, yeah, we, it let's sure. let's make it happen. That's that's easy enough. We have to all work together. We're in this together. So uh well, I'm just conscious, Eddie. Bruce, that that I don't want. I don't want to be. I would like it to happen, but it, it's the problem. The problem lies with Super League to fix, and I don't want to be telling them That's exactly right. what they got. That's it. okay. You know what? It, it, the problem does lie with Super League to fix, and now that you've said what we need to do, I think that we can fix it. It's a very simple solution. Move the game up a week. That's not a drama. Very okay. happy if we well, do that. All right, we'll work on that. All right, gentlemen, we're approaching an hour, so we're going to wrap it up. It's been a great discussion. Uh, fantastic points made by uh, Eddie O'Sullivan, the head coach of the USA Eagles. Eddie, we talked at length about the split in the game between sevens and 15-man 15 15 rugby. Uh, the show obviously brought to you by the USA Sevens on Feb 13-14 next year. Uh, how do you see it progressing uh, as the Olympics loom large? Yeah, I, I think we've got to, you know, take a little step back in the sense and that the, the the Olympics is 2016 and, and um, I guess there's a number of dimensions to that. One is, yeah, we've got to start working towards that. I, I think at this moment in time, um, realistically, we're going to be working the same pool of players. In the perfect world, and you, you touched on it last week, you'd have two exclusive pools of players. We don't have that sort of depth uh, or sort of resources to, to do that. And I think you'd even find a lot of countries when, when push comes to shove might, might struggle to, to draw that line in the sand as well. But anyway... That's for them to figure out. But I know at the moment we can't do that. So we've got to work hand in glove uh, for the foreseeable future. Uh, 2016 is a long way away, and, and who knows where any of us will be then. But there's two 15s World Cups before 2016 anyway. You know, We've got 2011, 2015. Um, there's a 7s World Cup in, in the process as well there. Um, you know, funding is going to be a factor. I, I think it's fair. There will be some support and funding from, from the USOC, but... I don't have any real mainstream funding, you know, um, until they get into the next uh, Olympic cycle. Remember that, you know, USA cannot win a rugby medal in London. So all those are factors in, in the equation. Uh, I think we've got to work close together. At the end of the day, that the players that Coach Caravelli has in camp are the same guys I'll have in camp, are by and large. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we're, we're, we're working to the base at the moment that we can dovetail our schedules. There's no overlaps, or there's, there's no issues. And if, if we have small overlaps, we try and work through them as we did last year. I mean, 
you know, if you think about it, last year's London and Edinburgh Sevens were right whack in the middle of where we had Ireland and Wales. But we, we managed through it. He took some players that I was able to release because I didn't need them that week. And then they came back and it's all doable. We just got to think outside the box at times. And, and you know, hey, it's one thing I learned in American rugby is thinking outside the box makes it such a great game there. And, and I'm, I, that's why that's what attracts me to America. I, I love the, the energy around the game. As I said, when I took the job, it, and I said one thing, I've even more energy after the end of this year. So I'm really looking forward to next year. Eddie, one quick question to close. Age-grade rugby, developing coaches, developing systems, you know, now that we've qualified and that there is, you know, I know you, you got to go to the Super League games and, and, and whatnot. You do have a lot of friends in the, at, the, at the university level. You also have a lot of friends at the age grade level in Texas, the Northeast, and in California. What exactly is your role going to be with those guys moving forward to develop systems similar to the systems you had in Ireland to have player identification and moving people into pools and that type of thing, and and when do you foresee that commencing? Well, I, I'm I'm very happy as as a national team coach to to be involved in the age grade uh, development, particularly of coaches. I mean, me coaching players around the country, age grade is probably not the best use of my time, given that there's there's other issues like the national team. But I certainly love working with coaches. Um, I'm happy to to run camps wherever I can. But here's the thing, I'm I. I, I don't want to be the guy taking those initiatives. I think if, if people come to me with, with, with ideas of when they'd like me to coach with groups of coaches, find a location, find a window on my schedule, I'm there. You know, I love coaching. I mean, I, I went to, uh, I was invited to Houston last summer um, by, by a good friend of mine, John Connolly, who does a great job at the age grade in Houston. And they're crying out for coaches. I ran a camp there for coaches and kids and I, I had a ball. Uh, but I can't take those initiatives, Bruce. And I, I mean, I can, you plug me in anywhere you, I, I can find time and I'm happy to be there. Uh, but at the moment, I, I, if I try and take those initiatives, I'm probably going to take too much energy away from the job I have to get done. And that's the Eagles job. But hey, I'm, I'm, I'm open to, to people uh, trying to drag me in and, and get me to do some stuff. And it won't be hard to get me there. I guarantee you that. You know me well enough. How do they do that, oh, Eddie? I mean, is that an open invitation? Or are you going to get inundated? Yeah, no, I, I, I'm happy to do it. I mean, if I have a window and I can be there, I'll be there. You know, I love coaching. And, and I, I, I've done some coaching already. I mean, I, last year when I wasn't doing anything, I, I, uh, I was, I was on, after Ireland, I was on free time. I spent, uh, I guess, six weeks in the market just moving around coaching because I, I just got a kick out of it, you know. And I was with you, Bruce, in, 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 at New York Athletic Club, and I had a great time. But I, and I coached at collegiate level down in, in, in Nashville. I, I coached in St. Mary's last December. I went over to, 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 to Tim O'Brien. It's just um, I, I like working with coaches and players, so... It's an open invitation, and if I can fit it in my schedule, I'll be there. But it's as simple as that. But I, the point I'm making is I can't, I can't build these initiatives. I can't be the guy making phone calls to, to, to get those camps organized. You organize the camp, you get the coaches, and there. That makes sense. Certainly that does. makes sense. And what else? This is what makes sense too. February 13, 14, Vegas, USA 7s. I'm, are you, are you there, already? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I'm going to be there too. Oh, New York Athletic Club's gonna be there. I'm gonna be there. It's gonna be great. And what's the what's the motto, Juro? <laughs> it's you Vegas. Say sevens. <laughs> it's Vegas, you, you man. Gotta be there. You gotta be there. You gotta be there, boys. Oh, That's what dear. we're looking at. Uh, so it's it's it'll be a showpiece of the game, won't it? And uh, I think uh, Eddie, uh, after uh, a tough start by the boys, I think uh, Vegas, you know, things might start to happen for the USA team. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, th- I think Bruce's point was remember last week. You, you've got to give them time to bet in. You know, the first two tournaments of the season. And certainly when it comes to Vegas, they're playing on home soil and, you know, the guys are really going to go for it. Um, I haven't been to uh, an IRB 7 storm before. I haven't been to Vegas, so put that oh. together on the <laughs> There's a double culture shock, shock there for you, Eddie. <laughs> so, I look forward if, to that. If any- if anybody's interested in Eddie O'Sullivan's thoughts on winning on home soil, you can just go to YouTube and he uses some colorful language that is inappropriate for family shows. Like this one. He wants them to lay down a marker <laughs> and he puts in some expletives there. <laughs> and him and Paul O'Connell <laughs> really get that team rocking, I'll tell you that, yeah. <laughs> as far as what they're going to do before that game. I don't know where that was, Eddie. I don't know if that was just before that was, Crow uh, Park. That was Crow Park before we played England. That uh, became. <laughs> a, that became a big deal actually just before the Australian game this year, the 20 all draw. So uh, it is, it's, it's even more famous now, the Paul O'Connell <laughs> uh, uh, pump yeah, up. I never speech. intended for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is there dear. a camera on in here? <laughs> <laughs> one, two, one, anyway. two, testing, one, two. All right. Uh, well, gentlemen, uh, fantastic. Eddie, we appreciate your time. Uh, you enjoy pleasure, you, you enjoy your Christmas, and I, I think uh, what you've done is really uh, lay the platform in black and white terms about uh, the 2010 season. And I think we're looking forward to an improvement by the Eagles, but I think it's a smart improvement, don't you think, Bruce? I think it's I. I'm really excited looking forward into what this team can accomplish. I think that there's been blooding of players, and I think that there's going to be competition for positions. I hopefully they're able to to get some people playing overseas and we get some new blood into the Super League from the uh, college programs and the high school programs. And I'm I'm optimistic for where USA Rugby is going. And, you know, hopefully it's just going to come down to on field performance. And as we perform better on the field, opportunities will come. And as we make the most of those opportunities, more opportunities will come. And then we'll have a greater margin for error when our players go overseas. Everyone doesn't have to be Todd Clever, Zena Gwenya, Dan Lyle, Dave Hodges, and play to that excellent standard. But there'll be there'll be places overseas where our guys can be role players or or be uh, off the bench guys. But you know we we need we need to just generate those opportunities for the guys. And it, and it starts at home. It starts domestically because if if we don't prepare them domestically. They're, they're not going to get the opportunity overseas. And next week, another big fan of uh, USA Rugby, a good supporter of the game in New York in particular, is Billy Millard, tack coach for the uh, Cardiff Blues next week. Looking forward to that as well, Bruce. Yeah, it's going to be great to have Billy on the show. He has some, uh, he has some very interesting insights as to uh, coaching structure for, for practice sessions. He has interesting insights into the development of the kicking game from the age grade standpoint, not necessarily from the uh, from the tactical team standpoint. And I think that Billy's going to want to talk about some of the things that he's done at Sydney University and he, what he's done with the Australian Sevens and uh, and some of the things he did with the Melbourne Rebels and the uh, now defunct ARC of Australia. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hard to get that third tier going. I've got to say, Sydney University, if you're not aware of it, is just the most powerhouse team you'll come across at a club level. It's uh, it's amazing. They are like the Real Madrid of club rugby. Unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe they should take over the franchise. Uh, there's some thoughts uh, that they have. Anyway, uh, Bruce, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, a couple of days for Christmas. Uh, you uh, make sure you uh, 
you uh, rug up uh, for the ice storms and uh, and prepare for Les Kiss to rock up. Yeah, Les is going to be rocking up tomorrow, so I'll be grabbing him at the airport in about, I don't know, less than 24 hours. <laughs> and Eddie O'Sullivan, once again, thank you very much. Enjoy your Christmas and good luck with the Eagles in 2010. Thanks, Joro, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again in the spring. We will, absolutely. And to everyone, thank you very much. Uh, Bruce, quickly, more than 450 on the Facebook page. I think after this interview, there's going to be uh, quite a few more Facebook fans and quite a few more listeners to the to the show. Eddie, what, we're going to try to tee you up uh, just after the um, just after the after the Easter camp, because then you'll have okay. uh, you'll have probably a lot of information for for the listeners, and I think that'll be a perfect time to tee up. That sounds fair. Christmas, Christmas, and Easter. It's like, you know, got it all covered. Mass, mass for the, uh, mass for the uninitiative. (laughs) Initiate. That's the the game they play in heaven. There you go. All right, Eddie. Thanks again. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Gerald. And Bruce, uh, Merry Christmas to you, my good friend. And uh, I will speak to you next week with Billy Millard. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you, my man. And Merry Christmas to all of you. Merry Christmas, Eddie. And Merry Merry Christmas. Christmas. We'll speak to you next week on Rugger Matrix USA.